A discussion like this is especially powerful for whatever group in your school or community does feel more left out. And that is definitely, for me, my conservative students. Welcome to The Carlina Show. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin. Today on the show, we have Amanda Smithfield. Amanda is a school librarian in Nashville, where she started Project Civ, a monthly discussion where high school Democrats and Republicans come together to discuss politics and share their thoughts and opinions with each other in a friendly manner over pizza. Amanda frequently speaks to other librarians about the importance of integrating civics and character education into our school library spaces. The Carlina Show is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow The Carlina Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would like to support the show, tell your friends about it or leave a review. Now I bring you Amanda Smithfield. I am a school librarian here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I teach at Hume Fogg Academic Magnet School. If you're ever in downtown Nashville, it looks like a castle. It's on the main road in downtown Nashville, which is called Broadway. Um, and uh, the program we're going to be talking about today is Project Civ. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a program that I do with my students. Um, anyone can participate, but it, I also sponsor the high school Democrats and Republicans. And so this is our monthly bipartisan discussion where, um, kids, uh, come in having seen some different, read some different perspectives, or we'll start by watching some different perspectives in the video, um, and then they sit in mixed groups and they discuss whatever that topic is. And the goal is to learn from each other. The goal is not to win. We're not having an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, we are having a discussion. Okay. And it's very rooted in the First Amendment, uh, which guarantees our uh, freedom of speech. Uh-huh. And with the idea that uh, that um, helps us kind of renew our sense of democracy um, and our sense of our freedoms. Uh, And then we go around uh, go away, uh, like thinking like more deeply about the topic um, and about our fellow citizens. So, right, right. Okay. Well, good, good. And we'll get into that um, more extensively here in a minute, but let's just back up a little bit and, um, when did you realize that you wanted to become a librarian? So to be a librarian in Tennessee, a school librarian, you actually have to have a master's degree. So almost everyone who becomes a school librarian um, was a teacher first. So I was a Latin teacher um, for about eight years uh, before I went back to school to become a librarian. And the reason why I wanted to become a librarian uh, you know, a lot of people will talk about love of books. Certainly that, you know, I do love to read. Um, but uh, I, it's really uh, goes down to part of that, that is just I really love uh, my role in that I get to touch every kid in the school. And, and as a teacher, like I, you know, that 
I didn't see every single student in the school um, every day, uh, where lots of days, on a typical day, I see about you know, 50% of the school will come through the library for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I really love that part about it. Is it a high school or is it a middle school and high school? Yeah, it's a high school of about 900 students. So okay. pretty good population. Okay. And so when did you decide to create the projects of program? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. So I decided to create it because my school, and I think this actually applies to many schools throughout really our country, uh, because of something called the Big Sort. Um, Democrats tend to live in cities. Um, Republicans tend to live in uh, in suburban or um, exurban rural areas. Uh, and so Hume Fog, like many schools in a city, is very blue. Uh, so my students identify as about 90% uh, Democrat. So I started Project Civ because I had conservative students um, and I wanted to make sure that they had a voice um, and they and that they felt like they could share it, share that voice. Mm-hmm. So I started sponsoring them. I said, well, we're going to start a club. Um, even though there's not many of you, I think that's really valuable. Um, and out of that, I was like, well, what can I do, you know, because of all this negative polarization that's mm-hmm. going on? Um, what can I do to kind of help out with that? And that's how the idea for Project Civ was kind of started. Right. What year was that? That was about two years ago. So about 2018, late 2017, early 2018. Okay. And so how did you get this program started? So it was kind of evolved over time. I think the first time I decided to have a discussion, it was about immigration. And um, it was at that point, I was already sponsoring the high school Republicans and the high school Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea was that I would just have them come together and we would have a discussion about this topic. This is something that is, was a, is a very is a very controversial topic, mm-hmm. but especially at my school, because we do have many students who are first-generation Americans. Um, so uh, I um, just, uh, it was something that I didn't see as I looked around. I didn't see, like I saw kids discussing it personally, but not in the context of a more formal setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really how it started. And it just started as like, it wasn't, it didn't have an overarching theme. It was just like, you know, why don't we get together and have a discussion about this topic? Like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And um, it just mm-hmm. started started from there. The kids really liked it. Um, and so we decided, hey, um, let's try to do this on a, on a regular basis. And that's kind of how it started. Why do you think your students liked it? So I think for my conservative students, um, they felt really supported, um, in the ability to say something that they feel like if they said it in a different context would not be accepted. And by accept, I don't mean agreed with, I, I mean like accepted as your right to say something 
that is your belief. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like uh, from that perspective um, that that was really important. I think for my Democrats, um, a lot of them who are coming are really curious about different beliefs and but they don't know where to start with that. And there's a lot of information out there these days. Mm -hmm. So having someone to kind of curate articles or what to watch ahead of time is really helpful. And that's one of the ways that we start. Um, So I think that for my Democrats, they they are truly curious about, you know, how can you, like, how can you be against, you know, more immigration. Like they're curious about that. And so I think that that was really resonated with them is that we start from a point of curiosity, not like let's own the libs or let's own the cons. (laughs) Um, And so starting from that point, I, I think that's what's really resonated with them. Okay. So what type of preparation do you have the students do before the discussion? So usually before the discussion, it, it does depend. We do vary it a little bit depending on what the topic is or, or how much background knowledge the kids will know about it or do they have personal experience with it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually what ends up happening is they end up reading three relatively short articles. One of them will just be like background, like what are statistics? Um, one of them will be like, a conservative's perspective, and one of them will be a progressive perspective. Mm -hmm. And so even if like no one at your table is super conservative, you have actually been exposed to that perspective just by participating um, in that. And so what's really interesting about that is that kids will like identify as progressive or identify as conservative, but on that topic, they may take a more moderate stance Mm -hmm. or even the opposite of what you would expect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are some of the topics that you discuss with the students? Yeah. So we really, um, so our high school Democrats and high school Republicans are really active and we really have the kids help pick the topic. I might make a suggestion, um, but they really picked a topic. So controversial ones, of course, impeachment, that's a great discussion to have right now or in the recent past. Um, immigration, abortion, um, gun rights. I mean, that's, that's a huge one uh, right now. Lots of school safety um, situations that, that is a really hot topic. Um, we even discussed something, a local issue that ended up being a really interesting topic. And that was, um, about transportation, Mm -hmm. about there was this transportation, um, plan that was put for us in Nashville. Um, and so kids had a really good discussion about that. So we're not afraid to go there. Like we'll discuss, you know, oh, Kavanaugh, the Kavanaugh, should he be on the Supreme Court? But we're not afraid to go there. We're not afraid to have mm-hmm. these discussions about like hot button topics, cultural or political. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll talk about them if it's something that the kids have identified that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So give me an example of one of these topics. Let's say um, gun rights, for example. Explain how that conversation went. What were some of the points the students made? How did they respond to um, points of the 
you know, the, the other side's point of view, um, sort of break down what a discussion over gun rights looks like? Yeah. Um, so we have kind of a set format for a discussion. Um, so first of all, I will tell you that one really great thing when you're having, when you're discussing something that's really controversial is to have food. (laughs) Food and teenagers just totally goes together. So we always eat pizza at our discussions and that works really well. Uh, So if you're coming into one of our discussions, so this discussion went down with people, they uh, came in, we checked them off the list. We told them which table they were sitting at because they signed up ahead of time. We had assigned tables with a mixed group Mm-hmm. of kids, um, mix as far as like beliefs on this, as far as like, I knew if I knew your belief, I kind of tried to mix you up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, at your, you should have read some of the article, the three articles, um, ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of give you some background information. Um, so you say your table, you're eating pizza, you're getting to know the people at your table. You may not have met them before, really talked to them before. We start our discussion with talking about um, norming that with our rules. Um, so we do have rules that we that we we talk about, like the purpose of the discussion um, ahead of time, like that our goal is not to uh, is not to win. We're having a discussion. Our goal is to learn. And we have each table has a, has each individual place has the, our core rules, um, uh, conversation rules. And they, they also have conversation starters. Mm-hmm. And those starters are ways, how can you, um, if you disagree with someone, how can you respond back in a way that focuses on the disagreement and not on, the person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something we'll briefly touch on every single time. We norm those rules every single time. Um, we talk about, um, we, we start, uh, we also say, what are the five uh, freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment? So we're starting in this kind of common commonality of gratitude for the ability to have a difficult conversation, knowing that hearing different perspectives can help us uh, grow in our own perspective, figure out what we ourselves believe, and to make a better argument. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about that a little bit. We we go through that pretty quickly. And then at each table, there are some questions. And kids can, of course, group leaders, each table can will pick a group leader. And they can, if they want to kind of go off on their own, sometimes that happens. Um, but uh, a lot of times they'll go by the questions that are on the table. And so each of those questions, the kids will discuss or as many as they get to within a lot of time, mm-hmm. a complete discussion will take about, I mean, you could make it longer depending on how many questions you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we usually take, it usually takes about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some, like for, for gun control, what are some things that, um, that your students would say to each other. Yeah. So the articles we read, uh, one of them, this was right after Parkland, right? Um, so this is a very, uh, so it's very fresh in kids' minds, um, their ideas about um, what should be done. Mm-hmm. So part of the discussion was on um, what are the rights? What does the Second Amendment actually say? Um, p- part of that discussion was on um, what, uh, what are the changes in laws over years? 
Um, so uh, part of that discussion was like looking at well, what were the gun laws in the 1960s and 1970s and are they different? And um, so um, it's very interesting. That was a very interesting discussion because I think a lot of kids came in for sure that there are all these different things that should be done. And I, this is very typical of a project civ discussion where they tend to go away thinking it's way more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a lot of other things that are, um, that are, that touch on that. So one of the things they discussed was that, is there anything that we, we do agree on? And, uh, and with that, a lot of times you end up with, um, with more, um, more rules as far as like, making sure people have to, that they're checked before they can buy a firearm um, and um, things like gun violence restraining orders, which is a temporary um, taking away of uh, guns. And like, if you identify a family member, it, anyway, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think some of the people who came into that discussion saying, okay, we should like just totally take away people's guns when they started to get some pushback on like, so how, like, how can you do that? I mean, like, what would be the process of doing that? And, um, you know, then they saw, how do you identify, um, you know, then they saw more of the complications, uh, than they did beforehand. Um, and then also this was a very interesting discussion because, in some cases, depending on our discussion, someone will have background information that can apply. So it turns out that a lot of my students have never been around guns, and so they don't really know very much about how they operate. Mm-hmm. And so we had a teacher there who does have guns, and he was able to share information with students about how they work and how. And so that also um, was a factor in people coming to a, a determination, many people coming into a determination that is more complicated than they thought, mm-hmm. um, than they thought before. Okay. And what have you heard from the parents? What, if any feedback have you heard from them? Yeah. So all our feedback from the parents has been very positive. Um, I think there is a lot of, uh, you know, you might hear a lot in the media that, okay, I don't think politics should be discussed at school at all. But the thing is, is that kids are talking about politics. They're sharing politics. They're sharing memes. They're sharing, even in many cases, information that is not correct. So they are, but we aren't teaching them how to do that. We aren't teaching them how do you find the best information? How do you um, find good perspectives that come to different conclusions that are Mm well-written, um, that are based on true information. Um, so I, I think when you say it that way, and the fact of the matter is that I'm not saying, Oh, Hey kids, when you leave this classroom, I expect you to, um, be all be pro second amendment, um, they realize that 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 is very rooted in our constitution, and I think because our discussions are so rooted in our constitution, mm-hmm. that it's just been a tremendous success. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the thing is, at the end of a discussion, um, kids 
you know, we start by saying our five um, guarantees that are our five freedoms in the First Amendment. Um, but the but the whole idea is like as they finish the discussion, two of the rights they can use on that for whatever they believe is mm-hmm. the um, the right to, you know, they can speak out against it, they can petition, um, and then they can gather. So so those are powerful rights that whatever kids believe in uh, believe that they can actually like do something about mm-hmm. whatever it is, however they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had really no pushback. It's been all very positive. So, yeah. Yeah. And what change have you seen in the students or new unexpected friendships perhaps? Yeah. So my high school democratic president, um, Juliana is best friends with my high school Republican president, uh, Reagan, and they've known each other a while, but they had to work really closely together in, um, like preparing for the discussions. And, um, so for that reason, um, that's part of it. They've developed a really close relationship. And I, I will also say that I think, a discussion like this is especially powerful for whatever group in your school or community does feel more left out. And that is definitely for me, my conservative students, that it is just a really powerful time uh, for them where they feel acknowledged, they feel heard. Um, And it's not that they aren't, that that doesn't happen any other time. It's just, um, and it also makes them more open to, um, you know, some of the some of the feedback, which might be quite strong, that they may get against those views because they feel like they have this place to share. So it's been very positive. Yeah, yeah. And so why or how do you feel like your work is important, especially in this moment in history? So we're in this time of polarization. Polarization is not actually necessarily bad. It means that there are like that there's a lot of clarity as far as points of view between Democrats and Republicans in many ways. So that can be polarization means that like it's easier for you you to say like, hey, I stand on this side or hey, I stand on that side. Um, But the problem is that it's not that we're necessarily so for our side or everything about our side is that we are so um we're so effective negatively by the other side. And this negative polarization uh, means that like it affects our politics. Like you're not seeing Congress really get a lot of stuff done. Um, It affects our friendships, our family members where people talk about like, Oh my goodness, I'm going home for Thanksgiving and my uncle voted differently than me. And I don't know how I'm going to handle it. And so um, I think it's really important at this time to like model um, how you can have discussions if it goes to that point about politics or about about things that do have that are controversial and stay focused on the actual topic and be able to express clearly different opinions on them mm-hmm. and not go into ad hominem attacks, which are just attacks on that person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll also say that because we're starting at a pretty young age, it, it does make you 
um, you know, these kids have already formed some of these friendships. So finding out that the person on your volleyball team that you um, eat lunch with um, and that you, that is so helpful to you, um, finding out that that person um, is, is a Republican, is a conservative, um, that can be really powerful and that can actually help us as we um, kind of go through and we develop that, that things are complicated, right? People vote the way they do for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so when we make assumptions that, oh, that person's a Republican, and so they automatically think X, Y, Z way, the same as the president on everything, what kids come away from Project Civ realizing that often is not true, that kids have a variety of opinions, even if they are on a, a, the other side, that mm-hmm. there are shades of their opinions. So like, for example, a lot of my conservative students uh, actually support DACA. Um, and so like you wouldn't know that from like hearing about in the general or on Twitter that that's the case, but that is mm-hmm. indeed the case. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, or do you teach the students how to, um, identify bias in the media, um, or, um, be better consumers of, of social media, I guess. Yes. Um, so that's a really important part. Um, now that happens more in like when I'm teaching with a teacher, um, but that is so important um, that we identify that. And so most of our students take AP English language. And that is, I mean, they, they get some of it in other classes too, um, where they actually actually have to identify um, the bias that is in an article um, and what viewpoint it's written from. And um, by analyzing, well, what did they leave out? Like, what, what did they leave out from this argument? Or what, what proof did they leave out that could have, like, negated whatever argument? that? What did they look over? What did they not pay attention to? Mm-hmm. Um, so you are um, looking at that. And then, like, with the Internet, it's complicated, right? Because now you have a lot of, a lot of websites where the person underwriting them or the group underwriting them has a objective. So learning how to do what we call a lateral read. So, hey, you have a website. It's the Anti-Defamation League. So open another tab. Tell me uh, about the Anti-Defamation League. What can you find out about them? Like, what, what are they coming in? Do they have a perspective are they nonpartisan? Are they really nonpartisan or do they just say they're nonpartisan, but they obviously have like a partisan viewpoint. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So Mm -hmm. yes, that's definitely part of it more so in a collaboration with teachers. Um, but that is definitely something we talk about is how to be a good media consumer. And a lot of being a good media consumer is being really thoughtful about what you share so part of it is definitely like we need to question what we what we see, if, you know, like as far as like, is that is that really right? Is that mm, is that really right? But we also need to like, like be the ones to stop the spread of it. So when we see things that are being spread that are incorrect, mm-hmm. um, 
like at least don't participate in it. Even if you feel uncomfortable, like pushing back against it because of whoever shared it, Mm -hmm. at least don't be the person who spreads it. So I'm not a big fan of meme spreading in general. Uh, So because oftentimes you're, you're taking something and you're trying to just make a little snippet out of it. And in general, things are more complicated than just that. Like any any sort of big policy issue, there's going to be like, it may look from the outside to be really clear cut, but when you really start looking at every, lots of things, it's much more complicated than that usually. Right, right. And you've been in a school system for how many years? So this is my 25th year um, and this is my seventh year as a uh, librarian. Okay. And what uh, changes have you noticed with students just throughout this this time um, as far as just any observations you, you have, especially with, uh, with social media as prevalent as it is, you know, these, the last few years have... What kind of observations do you have about how students have changed? So kids are definitely so, um, you know, now pretty much almost all my teenagers have a phone uh, and uh, a lot of them use it a lot. I will say more of them are becoming more aware of how much they of how much they use it. So you, you do have a little bit of a growing kind of recognition of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has affected things because they, um, it affects friendships, you know, like, so there's a lot less face-to-face communication. A lot more of it is through text. So like they, they don't, um, so one interesting observation about this group of students is that I was doing a project with them and um, this will tell you a lot about kids these days. Mm-hmm. And for this project, um, they needed to do an interview. Um, so we're, so I was here like, okay, why don't you call over to the police precinct? Um, and so they call over there and the, whoever answered the phone was so nice and said, I'm going to put you on hold. And so he put my kid on hold and my kid just didn't know what to do. So he hung up because he didn't know like what that meant. So they, they text, they don't uh-huh. really talk on the phone very much. Um, and so some of those skills, uh, the communication skills, the face-to-face skills, um, kids in general don't have as much of. So a really good study um, shows that kind of this generation of kids is about three years behind. So like where you might have gone to, you know, the mall by yourself when you were 13, like kids aren't really doing that until they're 16 and walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you kind of have like a lot of delayed behaviors um, for that um, for that reason, because they are like kind of living in this space on their phone. And that certainly has also affected their reading habits where they don't, they read a lot of shorter pieces and not like as many novels um, as they, as they used to. So um, they always basically have a source of entertainment with them and a source of like connection, but it's not like personal connection. It's like connection to the Netherland, you know, so yeah. the connection to the out there. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it has affected things. And we do see like more mental health um, kind of issues where kids seem to be struggling more with mental health mm-hmm. than they did like 10 years ago. Yeah. 
do you have a therapist in your school that the, that the kids can see if they need to or? Yeah, we have, well, we have, uh, we have one extra counselor and we do have like a social worker, mm-hmm. which is good. Uh, but kids are also really stressed. Um, so a lot of that stress they feel and, um, and so like that whole, uh, stress thing, it seems like they feel that more than, um, kids of my generation and I'm, you know, in my late forties. Um, so it seems like they, they do feel that more. Right. And is that because of the phones and social media or just a variety of reasons? I do think that's a, that's a big part of it. Uh, there is some debate about like, is phones the cause of it? Um, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I do think that that does, that that does play a role as, as far as that, um, goes and just like not, not having, um, practice that whole, um, you know, Mm -hmm. putting yourself out there and like, um, you know, maybe like something happens. So you don't get invited to a party. Like, you know, now, like, you know, instantly because you all have, everyone has Instagram. Mm -hmm. So like when I was growing up, uh, I didn't go to many parties. I wasn't invited to many, but a lot of the ones I wasn't invited to, I didn't actually find out about. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So now like, imagine you're in your room and all your friends went to a party and they didn't invite you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, just right then and there. Right. Um, and so that's a really immediate feeling that didn't necessarily happen when I was growing up where I might find out the next week, but like there was already a separation of some time by the time I found out. Right. So I do think it really affects kids. Um, and I think the remedy for that is more face-to-face conversation um, but you know, yeah, it's complicated. You're, you're carrying around, you're basically carrying around, uh, you know, your phones you carry around are more powerful than what put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's always something to think about. So when you have your discussions, do you ask the students to turn their cell phones off or put them away or can they use them during the discussions? They're, um, so if they're looking up a fact, I don't like mind it. Um, but in general, like there's no, like it's really, that's a really interesting um, point. They don't really feel the desire to do it during our discussions, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really, really cool. So if there's something there like, Oh, I really need to, uh, I'm I'm just right. I don't remember the exact thing. And then also they do have the articles that they're kind of using as their guide, those are printed for them. So they can look at those um, if they have, you know, like, cause a lot of times they're using those as kind of their evidence of how they think about um, stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you model your program um, from another one in another part of the country or is yours pretty unique? Yeah. So there is, so there are a lot of, I, you know, I'm going to call this the civility movement. Um, uh, and there's a lot of different organizations, um, around that are doing these sorts of things, especially for adults. So you may have heard of one called better angels. That's a really great one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also one called living room conversations and there's a huge, number of them make America dinner again, um, where they're trying to bring people together for some sort of discussion and maybe over food. Um, Mm -hmm. so 
in a way, like the idea that you would do that, that you would be really deliberate and bring conservatives and liberals together um, to have a discussion about something. I got, I did get that idea just from the general like movement of all these different organizations. But my specific thing is really kind of an amalgam of a lot of different things. So there is a, um, in in education world, uh, there's something called a structured academic conversation. Mm -hmm. So this is like a kind of like a structured academic conversation, except it's more like a club. It's not something that everyone's required to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Although you can have these conversations, like you can do it as a whole class thing. And I think it works well. Um, But like, it also works well as an optional activity, and that's kind of how I do it at my school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to start a program like yours, um, how, how would they go about it? Yeah. So I have a lot of um, resources at the website projectsofamerica.com, including some topics with some articles that we have. Um, but I would say if there is a librarian in your building, they're a great person to partner with um, to actually, um, you know, uh, start that, use their expertise as far as how do you find like a starting place mm-hmm. um, as far as, you know, articles or videos to use to kind of like build kids background knowledge Mm -hmm. uh, where they can have a discussion about a topic. Um, So, yeah. So there's a lot of resources there, a lot of suggestions. One of the big suggestions is that like maybe you don't want to start with having something that is just really super controversial, maybe starting with something that's more local or even more school-based, something like should schools have dress codes? Mm-hmm. You know, you could start with something that's super local and have kids have a discussion about that. And that is something that where they would get that practice um, and they would, you know, that's really relevant to their lives. And, um, you know, so and then you can go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice do you have for somebody who may live in their political bubble and not know someone from uh, another political team, what, what would you recommend to them to, um, to meet somebody and to have a conversation or just to think about things differently? Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really great idea. Um, so I'm blessed to live in Nashville. Um, and I think here in the South, even in our blue cities, we have a good number of uh, Republicans read. Um, and so, uh, so first of all, I would say, look in the community around you. Cause if you can, if you want to say, okay, I live in New York city and there's no Republicans here. Like that's not true. Like, like there are, Mm -hmm. um, so joining an organization like better angels where you would, um, that's so deliberate about, making sure that they have people across the political spectrum would be a great start. Um, as I will also encourage you to, that you're probably in an echo chamber and you're only reading stuff that is on your side and that you agree with. So I would start with a couple of, um, you know, like different magazines that are on from a different perspective. So like something like the national review, the dispatch, 
um, the Bulwark, um, you know, Washington Examiner, um, that are going to give you some different perspectives and that many of those articles are written in a very, um, like they're pretty focused on saying a perspective without throwing a bunch of ad hominem attacks, which mm-hmm. I really like about those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those would be um, really great places to start if you're like me and you're on the left. If you're on the right, then you might do something like uh, Mother Jones or, um, you know, uh, like, uh, you, you can do, um, something like that. Um, a lot of the, even the Washington Post and New York Times will have a lot of pretty progressive perspectives. Um, and so, um, you know, Mm -hmm. so those are really good places to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what other thoughts or, um, is there anything else that you, that you wanted to share? Yeah. So, um, what, what I would say though, is that if this is something you're really interested in doing, just come from it as, from a point of curiosity and humility. I think that I will say that for me personally, um, the news is just, it's a lot. It's really overwhelming. It can make us angry every day. Learning about how media works and like how those clicks work, that that's kind of driving a lot of this polarization as far as like how news media gets rewarded um, just made me really more thoughtful about like, is this really all the conservative perspectives? And as I started reading more we, uh, more widely and also talking to my neighbors and, and getting to know people who were more conservative, I realized that what I was reading or what was driving a lot was actually not the personal perspective. So even though at the end of the day, they were going to vote differently than me, that like, uh, that we had this common and shared humanity. Um, so that's actually been really helpful to me as a person. So not just as like a teacher. Um, so, uh, what I would say is that, you know, this is something that you can do with your family, with your church, um, with, if you're a teacher, you can do it as a club at school. Um, but I, but it's just something that's just been a wonderful journey for me. And, um, something, like I said, I, I would encourage it. It's, it's actually, it gives me great joy, um, to like wake up every day and say, you know, there is a lot of negative polarization going on. Um, but look at what I'm doing about it. Yeah. Um, and I feel, I feel really good about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one final question. Um, could you recommend any books or podcasts or documentaries or anything that you could point people to, um, that, that you think are worth listening to or watching? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, better angels does have a very lovely podcast. And so that is a really wonderful one to, um, listen to lots of organizations now have podcasts. So that's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they even have like a documentary um, sort of thing out. So uh, that's, that's really wonderful um, with. Uh, so what I do is actually like listen to different perspectives on podcasts. Um, so that's also something I would encourage you to do. So re- listen to something like the remnant with Jonah Goldberg um, listening to um you know, something like Chris Hayes or Ezra Klein. 
Um, so uh, that's definitely something that I would do. Um, as far as books, I love um, a, books by Daniel Allen. There's one called Our Constitution um, that is really, really great. Just talks talking about those all those rights. Um, Ezra Klein has a new book out about polarization that will give you like a pretty good perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, I would just say like, get to know people, um, in a personal way who might have a different political perspective than you. Um, and, uh, just, you know, see how, how that goes. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I would just, encourage some face-to-face um discussion yeah well good well good is there anything else that you wanted to mention no i think that's it this has been an enjoyable time (laughs) it has it has i'm i'm really glad that that we connected i think we met over was it twitter twitter yes several months ago (laughs) yes that's right you're a very busy person you're like a podcast you know like wow you're just putting out a lot of wonderful content so thank you thank you and I I knew because I have a good feeling about people um when I come across them even if it's on Twitter and I just had this feeling about you I was like that Amanda I need to talk to her (laughs) right yeah I mean in some ways you really have so when you talk about like forming friendships or having these deep uh, conversations, uh-huh. you do get, um, you get pushback from that, right? Because um, you do have like um, the kind of like uh, shunning, you know, you, you have people who, who advocate for that. And listen, I, I get that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I totally understand that. You know, I think in general, when you're talking about like what goes into civility, mm-hmm. uh, that civility can just be repressing, um, not uh, what is what is bad, but what is mm-hmm. what is owed to people who don't have those rights yet, right. Right? right? And so you have to be like really cognizant of that, which is why that part where it's like okay, go and advocate for your beliefs and here are your first amendment rights and let's go and work on these. But like also the idea that like from hearing different perspective Mm -hmm. that you're actually able to make a better argument. That's always how I start these discussions. It's it's not like you're, you're not, the goal is not, Hey, Mm -hmm. let's agree on everything because that's not going to happen. Right. The idea is that like, you're going to get, you're going to become like, make a better argument because you've heard from people who disagree with you. And so you're hearing them and you're like, wow, how do I push back against that? Like, or what would I say? Or how could I frame my argument Mm -hmm. uh, about that? So the root of, of civility or civil is key which is like being a, it's like citizenship, right? Mm -hmm. So being, being a citizen, um, isn't just the, the nice part it's acting on those beliefs. And so it's, it's that keeping that at the heart of it rather than like, Oh, I have a perspective and I'm just not going to say it. Um, that Mm -hmm. is, that is what in my mind is, um, you know, the key whist, the, 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 the key whist part of, uh, citizen, you know, that, mm-hmm. that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so many people who they do have a perspective and they do want to have a dialogue with someone, but they're just afraid 
to, to say something because they don't want to, you know, stir things up and they don't want to cause conflict. And so it's just easier if I just, you know, shut my mouth, I don't say anything, I don't share anything and I just keep it, you know, to myself. But, um, but I think that, but there's, it's, it is so important to, you know, to be able to talk to each other and talk about the ideas and not the people. Right. Exactly. I mean, how else are we going to learn how to live in like a multi-ethic, multi-religious, um, Right. democracy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we like, that's otherwise, like, we're not going to make it. So, mm-hmm. um, so you got to really inculcate like that ability. And, um, that's what we try to do with Project Civ. And whether you're in the school or not, you can kind of take on those behaviors in mm-hmm. your small group or in your family or church or, or school. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you, Amanda. It's been fun talking thank you. to you. And uh, tell your students I said hello. Here's a shout I out. I will. I will. <laughs> That's I all will your students. I will tell them. Yeah. If you're in Nashville, you'll have to stop by. So, 